cancer patients are often faced with circumstances related to their disease that aren't openly discussed. In Tabuti, the Fight CRC podcast, we delve into those topics that are sometimes considered controversial, trending, or just plain interesting. To suggest a podcast topic, email answers at fightcrc.org. Hi, my name is Sharon Worrell, and welcome to Fight Colorectal Cancer's Tabuti podcast. On our podcast today, our team talks to Dr. Al Benson. Dr. Benson is not only a Fight Colorectal Cancer Medical Advisory Board member, he is also a GI medical oncologist at Northwestern University in Chicago, Illinois, and the chair of the National Comprehensive Cancer Network's Colon and Rectal Cancer Panel. Listen in as Dr. Benson and Ruiz Garcia from the Fight CRC team discuss the NCCN's current guidelines for the management of colorectal cancer patients during the time of COVID-19. My name is uh, Al Benson, and I'm a GI medical oncologist at Northwestern University in Chicago, Illinois, and I'm part of the scientific advisory group uh, with fight colorectal cancer. And uh, also, I chair the National Comprehensive Cancer Network uh, Colorectal Cancers Panel. That's awesome. Well, thank you for um, chatting with us today. So I know that um, the NCCN just recently released some guidelines and principles for the management of colorectal cancer patients during um, COVID-19. Could you just walk us through the updated guidelines and how this will affect patients on treatment? Yes, yeah, so uh, our uh, NCCN colon and rectal cancers panel felt that it would be useful to look at some of the specifics in terms of what patients might face uh, with their diagnosis of colon and rectal cancer. And uh, all health systems across the country have had to make huge adjustments and this includes the, the use of telemedicine, uh, as well as uh, changing patient schedules. So uh, we uh, looked through a, a variety of issues that might face uh, patients and also uh, offices that are trying to provide medical care for patients with colon and rectal cancer. So uh, we talk a little bit uh, that because of social distancing, um, we really have to look carefully at what might be truly essential in terms of the patient actually having to go uh, to a doctor's office or a laboratory. So um, uh, it's important to really look, for example, at at blood tests, uh, and perhaps even uh, imaging like CT scans, uh, are they really necessary at an immediate point in time, or can they actually uh, be delayed? Um, some of this is also important, not, not only to keep patients safe, but our health systems have been uh, incredibly uh, stretched in terms of uh, taking care of patients who uh, have been exposed or who have the uh, virus. 
And so we, we have to make sure that we have the resources to readily take care of these patients. And that includes the utilization of medical staff. So we've all been looking very carefully at what tests and what procedures are absolutely necessary and which can be delayed. And so it's important for patients to communicate with their medical team uh, if they have uh, laboratory tests, procedures, or scans to uh, address, you know, what must be done now and what might perhaps can be delayed one or two months or maybe even a little longer. Um, we also talked about you know, if there is an oral therapy that is uh, clinically appropriate for a patient versus, say, an IV therapy, that that should be encouraged because then patients can stay at home and perhaps uh, avoid uh, visits to the hospital or to an oncology office uh, for treatment. <laughs> and um, also it's important to look at uh, regimens and toxicities to see uh, what adjustments can be made. So we try to uh, reduce the likelihood of side effects because um, we, we certainly don't want people to feel ill or have um, important uh, problems such as lower blood counts um, that uh, uh, may require then visits to the uh, hospital or even the emergency room. So uh, we want to carefully look at regimens uh, to avoid uh, potential complications. Um, I think what, what's always important when we're looking at a therapy is to keep in mind uh, what is our goal of treatment uh, and look at the risks versus the benefits. Um, and so uh, these discussions are, are really important because we certainly do not want to compromise uh, the end result of our goal of treatment. And, and so that, that's an important consideration. Uh, so, uh, you know, one example is, so if a stage three colon cancer patient has had successful surgery and requires adjuvant therapy, uh, based on uh, clinical research, uh, we know that there are people who can benefit uh, by having three months of treatment versus what for many years has been the standard of six months. And that patients um, can, uh, for example, receive uh, what's known as CAPOX with oxaliplatin, and then oral capecitabine. And, and that regimen is every three weeks. So uh, we have the potential to reduce the number of office visits that a person would need and can also provide perhaps a shorter duration of therapy uh, without compromising outcome uh, whatsoever. Um, also, uh, 
you know, there may be individuals, uh, for example, with uh, colon cancer uh, who do require surgery, but uh, because of the risks during this current uh, time period, uh, perhaps uh, they could be first treated uh, with chemotherapy and therefore uh, providing the opportunity to uh, shrink the tumor, uh, but to also avoid surgery and a hospitalization, uh, at least for a while. And um, this, for some patients, would would be a very good uh, approach to consider. Also, uh, we talk about for rectal cancer, uh, many patients with rectal cancer are, are treated with preoperative radiation. And we now have different options in terms of the radiation approach. So, for example, for some individuals, it may be what we call a short course of radiation would be very appropriate. Uh, so, a short course of radiation is typically administered over five days uh, versus what traditionally had been at least a 28-day course uh, of treatment. So if we can successfully treat someone uh, with five days of treatment to obtain the same results, we're again uh, reducing exposure uh, to coming to um, a hospital, for example, uh, uh, for safety reasons. And then uh, after radiation, um, we can delay surgery uh, generally six to eight weeks. And by that time, we certainly hope that the worst may be over and uh, it'll be safer for patients to uh, proceed to surgery. So for newly diagnosed rectal cancer patients, it's always critical uh, to discuss what are the optimal options for treatment, uh, but to consider these issues is, for example, a short course of radiation perhaps a really good choice for uh, that individual. Also, uh, for people who successfully completed all treatment and are under surveillance. Uh, we do have defined schedules where we have office visits and blood tests uh, as well as uh, uh, imaging such as CT scans uh, as well as colonoscopies. So it's also important to consider during this time period uh, may some of these uh, various procedures be delayed a little bit without uh, compromising a person's well-being. And in many cases, this would be very feasible and should strongly uh, be, be considered. Uh, and as I mentioned, that would include colonoscopies, perhaps to uh, delay two or three months until uh, this crisis has uh, subsided. Uh, we also uh, discussed uh, the use of immunotherapy, and, and there are subgroups of patients where immunotherapy can be uh, 
considered as an appropriate option. And what we've been learning with immunotherapy is that uh, we can space out the doses over a long period of time, a longer period of time. So uh, in, in some cases, we may be able to space out therapy uh, uh, for two-month intervals. And so if a person is on immunotherapy, this is something that should be discussed with the healthcare team because it may be possible to avoid office visits by spacing out the treatment. And again, without compromising uh, the expected end result from the treatment. And uh, always in these discussions, individuals need to address the issue of what is the goal of care and uh, how can we avoid any compromise in terms of uh, outcomes and benefits from the therapy, while at the same time uh, trying to reduce risk, especially during the time period of this uh, highly contagious virus. There may be some people, for example, with metastatic disease who have uh, experienced a really good response and they may actually be able to have uh, a bit of a treatment holiday. So to avoid treatment uh, for a period of time, and, and that may be up to, for example, 12 weeks. And so this is something that should be discussed with the healthcare team for uh, certain individuals who are responding well to therapy. Uh, because we have learned there are people who can have uh, uh, at least uh, a relatively brief uh, treatment break and not compromise their health and at the same time avoid uh, added risk because they would not be having uh, frequent office visits uh, as might be required while they're getting therapy. So that, that's another point uh, to discuss with the uh, provider. Also, uh, those who uh, have the uh, portacath or central venous catheter, um, it, it's possible uh, if people aren't having constant use uh, of the port that they can avoid uh, flushing the catheter for at least 12 weeks. And that, again, will help uh, um, eliminate perhaps extra office uh, visits. Uh, there are drugs such as the uh, anti-EGFR agent Cetuximab, um, where we now know, uh, rather than a weekly dose, can be given every two weeks. And that, again, uh, is a, a way where we could avoid uh, some extra office visits without uh, compromising care. That's great. That's, that's really insightful. So I know at the beginning of this conversation, you had, you had briefly touched on medicine. So I'm wondering if you could just speak a little bit um, to where you see telehealth fitting into all of this and anything patients should know regarding telemedicine um, during their cancer treatment? 
Well, the telemedicine, uh, although certainly not new, I think what what's happened with COVID-19, we've had to really adjust our our way of uh, practicing medicine and looking at ways uh, we can keep people safely at home uh, and get the necessary information. Uh, so, for example, in my practice now, um, I, I do have regular office hours, but uh, in my schedule is a, a mixture of uh, patient type encounters. So, uh, I am seeing people in the office because it, it's essential for a variety of reasons, including that uh, they must continue their therapy and it's important for me to see them and examine them. But on the other hand, in my schedule are people who are scheduled as a telemedicine visit. So I may have one person uh, I'm seeing in the office and then my next encounter is on the telephone. Uh, We also do have video uh, capability and also I've had people uh, send uh, via uh, their, uh, for example, my chart, uh, pictures of, for example, uh, a spot on the skin or something they were concerned about that I could visualize. But we, we can get a lot of information uh, on a uh, telemedicine uh, call. In, in fact, the other day, I had a, a new patient. Uh, I never met the individual, but it was a new consultation for a new diagnosis of rectal cancer. And I was able to do uh, a complete review of the medical history and symptoms and get uh, much of the usual information that I usually obtain. What I could not do, of course, was a physical exam. But we could do a great deal of discussion about the diagnosis and what approaches we should take and and what tests might might be needed and at least start the, the whole process of coordinating care. And so for this individual, of course, uh, I am going to have to see the person in person uh, with a face-to-face encounter, but we... Uh, on the phone, we were able to accomplish a lot. And certainly there there are many individuals, uh, for example, routinely we get calls and email messages from patients about various symptoms which we readily handle over the telephone. So um, I think uh, we we need to carefully look at when is telemedicine now more of a a routine, at least for select individuals, where we can, uh, you know, maintain uh, goals of care and patient safety and obtain the really necessary uh, information. And in that discussion, it it will be really important uh, to know when do you actually have to see someone in person and manage their symptoms. And and that might be, for example, uh, 
an individual who needs IV fluids and uh, are we able to manage that situation at home or do we really need an office visit to manage the patient? But I think um, uh, with routine care, uh, we're gonna see uh, big changes in the practice of medicine. And also I I think uh, for those of us who are engaged in clinical research, we're gonna have to think about how we might integrate uh, telemedicine uh, in our uh, clinical research protocols where we might be able to save people office visits and still get the, the critical information we need. That's great. That's, that's really helpful. And I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities um, for telemedicine th- that there might've been before, but you know, it's even becoming more apparent now. Um, I want to end with this one question because I think this is something our, our community can really use. And that would be, um, what words of encouragement do you have for the colorectal cancer community and patients and caregivers who are, you know, experiencing a lot of anxiety or unease about their treatment course? Well, we know this is a very stressful time. Uh, It's stressful for all of us. And uh, for those of us uh, who are part of the healthcare team, um, you know, there there are many demands uh, upon us. Um, However, uh, I think uh, universally our goal is to make sure our patients receive the care and attention they need, uh, and uh, uh, we, we must uh, work very hard to guarantee their safety and not compromise their oncologic care. So I, I do think, as always, it, it's very important for people to communicate their, with their healthcare team. And so what what I urge people to do as they think about their given situation at home and with their family members to uh, write down what their concerns might be. Uh, Also write down if they're having any symptoms, if they have questions about their treatment, if they have questions when they need to be in, in the office, when do they need their tests, write this all down, and, uh, you know, they, they do need to have a good understanding of how best to communicate with their healthcare team. And it varies across practices. So, for example, uh, in many practices uh, for non-emergency situations, uh, people are encouraged to send um, email messages, so for example, by the electronic medical record, uh, if, if there's an EPIC system, for example, to use my chart. Um, although uh, other offices may prefer uh, that patients call with their questions. Um, if you are sending uh, an email message and you've written down what your concerns are, it's very helpful to include that in your message because then with the healthcare team, number one, the team can determine, well, who is the most appropriate person to uh, respond to the person's communication? 
It might be a social worker. It might be a psychologist. It might be a dietitian. Uh, it might be the nurse, or uh, it might it might be the physician. But uh, having the opportunity to review the communication is helpful, so we as a healthcare team can make sure that the person that will be most uh, helpful for the individual will be able to contact the the person. And and also, we need to remind people if there's something that's really critical, someone is uh, uh, having a, a very significant symptom, uh, you really need to call. Uh, you know, you need to speak more directly so you can be directed as to what should happen. You know, do can the symptoms be managed by the telephone call or is this something where an emergency room visit is necessary or perhaps a urgent care visit or is it something where an appointment can be arranged in a in a day or two uh, as an example so it, it's it's just essential to communicate if you're uh, afraid if you're worried uh, convey that um, so that the healthcare team can discuss, uh, you know, what might be best to help uh, a given person and uh, a given symptom or concern. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time and insight today. And for those of you listening in, be sure to head over to Fight Colorectal Cancer's website at fightcrc.org uh, for additional resources and to learn more about what the coronavirus means for our patient and caregiver community. Thank you for joining our Tabuti podcast. Remember that this information is for educational purposes only and all medical questions should be directed to your doctor.